At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hello, folks. Welcome to Inclusive Collective, where we share stories and learnings of inclusive people, organizations, and innovation. I am one of your co-hosts, Nadia Butt. I'm an organizational development and belonging strategist, and I am joined by your other co-host, Rob Hadley, a people and culture strategist specializing in DE&I and people analytics. Hello, Rob. How are you today? Hello, Nadia. Happy spring. Happy spring. Beautiful. <laughs> are you guys getting some good weather out in um, Utah? Well, here in uh, April, it's, uh, it's unpredictable. Yeah, it's, it's still yeah. pretty, vo- pretty volatile. But, uh, but yeah, no, spring's always a good time, right? Mm-hmm. Love Renewal. it. Renewal. Love it. Actually, that leads me into chirping. Yeah, yeah. The renewal piece that leads me into today's episode, right? Tell me more. So, special episode today, Nadia. We're in the middle of season three. It is three, right? It Um, is three. Yes. We have several weeks left, so it's not over. Lots of great guests coming, as you know. But we've had a lot of new listeners, right? Recently, a lot of new people joining the Inclusive Collective family. Yes, and just so you know, we celebrated our one year anniversary. We did. That's Our great. First Congratulations. Congratulations yes, to us. Yeah. So, I mean, so a lot of new listeners. I mean, we're a little bit behind Joe Rogan, right? Uh, oh, and obviously boy. the guys from Smartless. Yeah. I feel bad. I love them, though. I feel bad. Yeah. I apologize for putting the, the, the guys from Smartless and pairing them with Joe Rogan there. Although I've never Can't listened to it. Joe Rogan, right? So maybe he's lovely. I don't know. I, um, I, he has a big fan base. So. <laughs> Yeah, maybe he's lovely, right? He must be tapping into something really. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, anyway, if you remember, when you start out, you have like 10 people listening, right? And it's mostly your friends and family, mostly people you know. If that, yeah. I was told at the beginning that the 50th percentile in podcast listenership was like 19 listeners. So our initial goal, Nadia, was just to beat that number, just to get over 19 listeners. That was great. And although- we did it. Yeah, yeah. Although, if you remember, my wife told me she was not going to listen until we were a few episodes in. She wanted to make sure that it was actually good. I think that's what yeah. she told me. Um, so, and but, she's still uh, an avid listener. No, she's just, yeah. So she it's yeah. it it met her threshold. <laughs> her standards, yeah. <laughs> we exceeded it fit her standards. Um, but I thought it'd be a good time to check in, reintroduce ourselves, recreate that first pilot episode. Think about the things that made us want to do this show. And then based on everything that's happened and everything that we've learned over the last 60 or so shows, um, you know, queue up a couple of the segments that highlight something that was particularly memorable for us. 
So, so are you, are you ready for it? I'm ready. I'm so bring right. it on. Let's do it. Let's do it. So let's, I'm going to let you go first. Let's, let's hear a little bit about Nadia. Tell us about yourself, Nadia. Yeah. So that, you know, it, so you want the long version, the short version, probably short because we have a little bit of not, not a lot of time here, but so, um, we are, we introduced ourselves earlier on. I'm an organizational development professional with um, expertise in diversity, equity, inclusion, leadership development, and um, change management. Um, you know, so my lived, my personal lived experiences and the passion that I have for social and workplace equity and inclusion have really drawn me to, I guess, the work that I do. And then also mm -hmm. this podcast. You know, I identify as being um, a second gen, a daughter of Pakistani immigrants, um, you know, and so I, I have, and a Muslim. And so my career has always been kind of people interactions and practices. And so, you know, like I said, I kind of done all this work professionally. And then I also decided to go back to school, as you know, mm -hmm. to get my doctorate. And the research that I'm doing right now is centered around inclusion, social identity, intersectionality. And what I kind of realized is like, even though I'm totally engaged, you know, professionally, I do this work and then I'm researching this work. One thing that I feel like has always been lacking in my um, kind of my, I don't know, my everyday work or interactions is like mm -hmm. using that part of my brain. That's that creative side of my brain. Yeah. And while we were conceptualizing this podcast, um, I really wanted to have like a platform where not only I can share my own personal thoughts or experiences and your personal thoughts and experiences, but other people's right. experiences in the workplace, good, bad, and different that are really changing the workplace environment for the better. So, you know, we both do this consulting work and for me, the consulting is great, but it's not necessarily a platform where I can, you know, share with other like-minded individuals and provide them an opportunity to share like their products or services their ideas to drive more diverse, inclusive and equitable environments. So my my kind of my goal in life is to help untangle bias. And one of the organizations that we actually that we highlighted in season one that was we made famous dot, that we yeah. made that, no, <laughs> that we, we contributed to advocating for their <laughs> product. Yeah. But um, we spoke to um, uh, the co-founders at humanly.io and they have a really great product. Um, where they are trying to mitigate the bias in the recruitment and hiring process. Yeah. And they they really came on our podcast in season one to talk about like their the dynamic and the co-founder relationship and the team building and the leadership in their product. And so I really want to highlight a segment from that conversation that just continues to um, merge the concepts of diversity, equity, inclusion, continuous improvement and innovation um, together as one. Awesome. Um, and so, yeah, let's, yeah, we'll go let's ahead and it. pause. Let's hear it. I think it's safe to say you talk to any HR diversity professional, right? They're not necessarily always given the, the latest and greatest and best tools, right? And so I think, you know, looking at organizations like Gong and Chorus on the sales side, which is uncovering how sales reps are doing in their demos and what language is equating to better deals and so like, but from an aggregate level, HR and diversity leaders haven't had the ability to be more effective, not just at the recruiter level, right? But even the hiring manager level, right? Because I think at the end of the day, everyone's trying to be the best version of themselves. Very few folks are inherently wanting to be biased 
in how they're interviewing and hiring, right? right? But they just haven't been given the tools or support to be the best version of who they are or who they want to be, whether that's, you know, the amount of training that hiring managers are getting around interviewing. I mean, you find a HR leader that's that gets more than one shot a year to train their hiring managers on how to interview, right? right? Those those opportunities are few and far between. So part of the thesis is like, hey, how do we arm leadership with the data and the information they need to not just make those trainings more effective and, and they could better support their folks who are out on the front line having these direct, impactful conversations with candidates and impacting how the business is being viewed in the market how it's driving the bottom line of the business and all these other outcomes they're looking at. Right. Um, I want to switch gears and talk about your d- the dynamic of the two of you. I'd love to learn or hear if your upbringing or prior experiences, your education, like how you look at the world, if any of that has influenced your decisions on um, creating humanly. Like from, from my, I mean, I, I'd be the first to admit like when it comes to the the space we're playing in, like I am very fortunate with, you know, growing up in a middle-class Caucasian family, had support and went to college and had the ability to do everything that I could have dreamed of wanting to do, right? That not all folks are afforded the opportunity to do that, right? But I think when it comes to like, you know, life, life does create unique challenges. Like Prim and myself, we both have two kids and mortgages and going off and founding a business out of no, like that, you know, it, it was challenging. We had to go fundraise before we could even go full time on the project. Oh, right. Yeah. And, um, and so weighing that, you know, Prim didn't leave Microsoft till he had his first kid who's now six, right? Like the craziness of the Kush leaving Microsoft yeah. to then go start, so like go to a startup, like who yeah. would do that? It's risky, right. But, um, right? Yeah. I'm now, yeah, I'm not telling Prim's story. I'm stealing his thunder, <laughs> but yeah. So, so I think like everyone has the why, right. Everyone has those life experiences like the good life experiences and what you're fortunate with, as well as the challenges that you have to overcome to get to where you are. And that shapes how we are. It shapes the product we're building, the folks we're bringing along with us on the journey as well. All right, we're back. And I really like that clip. Obviously, I love that episode, Nadia, and I'm so happy that you chose it. It always makes me think about our co-founder relationship. I mean, you mentioned as the lead-in about the opportunities to be creative. And, you know, I think probably when we started this podcast, it's not, so, so one, I had no idea we'd have to be so creative if we are, if I, you know, by anyone's measure, but the, also the fact that we were really starting a little business together. Right. And this is, this is our little startup as well. Yeah. So, um, so really, really excited that, that you brought that one up. Yeah. What, what's yours over there? What do you got for me? So as you know, Nadia, I'm a consultant. Uh, I help companies and organizations use data, analytics, structured problem solving to build DI into their strategies and into their people processes. Um, you know, I work with a lot of Fortune 500 companies, but also smaller companies that want to be Fortune 500 companies. And so hopefully, uh, you know, being able to build DI into their processes and, and practices early will help them have a greater impact on society. So Absolutely. And, and yeah. you and I worked together for 20 years. I spent a lot of time in large companies working in some sort of analytical, build the business case, tell a story with data type of capacity yeah. in, in all different roles. And then finally landing in people analytics with focus on DEI and did some really good work there, raised some interesting questions. And it awoke something in me uh, as well, the inner 
troublemaker or antagonist streak in me. Which I love about you, by the way. Which is something that, which something that, like you said, like being creative, but also just being, having the ability to be uh, antagonistic. That can go dormant if you work in a big company for too long. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. And so when I decided I wanted to do something on my own, I wanted to focus on using data uh, in DEI to help, uh, you know, HR, DEI leaders bring attention to and advance their own, their own work. Right. And so, um, I also pointed to the personal connection when we first introduced ourselves that I had this work through my family, uh, being with, uh, the woman I am married to for, uh, and have been with for 20 years. So she comes with a family that immigrated to the U S in the early 1990s. And so when I met her, she was working as a nurse, but her ambition was to be a doctor. And she was told that you'll absolutely never be a doctor. And so I got to see what she went through, the barriers that were put in front of her, that mm-hmm. continue to be put in front of her as a woman, as an immigrant, uh, as a person from a minoritized community in the field of medicine. So, mm-hmm. so let's start there. Let's hear from Dr. Juliana Simonetti. She's the co-director of the Obesity and Weight Management Clinic at the University of Utah and the co-director of Promise to You. And that's a program that uh, facilitates the development of marginalized and minoritized students as they work to become physicians. Um, and so in this clip, Dr. Simonetti talks about her and her family's experience with the United States healthcare system and about the work that she does now to help others get into medical school. I do want to stick with the that intersection of race and healthcare outcomes as well, and or just the healthcare system as well. So you are a Latina, right? Like, so I know you have to explain yes. that to, to, to sometimes. Um, you speak Portuguese and Spanish. So can you talk a little bit about what it means to your patients to either see someone who looks like them or who could communicate with them in their language? What, what does that do for patient outcomes? Yeah, and we know that there's plenty of data on that area too, that having physicians that come from communities of color, they're much more likely to care for their community. And also this, this uh, ability to develop trust among and having building that relationship among the physician and the patient. And I certainly experienced that. I just had a patient recently tell me how it's like was very excited that, I, you know, she's like, I haven't seen a brown doctor in a while, you know. So yeah, yeah. so that that does have an impact in the relationship you can have with the patient. And it, and it goes again, historically, that makes sense. Right. Trust, understanding. And what really drove me into getting to medicine is um, so I was a recent immigrant from Brazil. I came from Brazil when I was 15. My mom had some health issues. They would pull me out of like school. I was in high school. I got pulled out of school so many times to go translate for my mom in the, the hospital because they yeah. didn't have, right, the interpreter. And I feel like a lot of kids of immigrants, mm-hmm. we, a lot of us can relate mm-hmm. to that experience, right? I'll be like, oh, I do not want to hear yeah. what the doctor had to tell you. Totally. Thanks for having me in the room, you know? So just the communication, the trust where my family, I remember they were like, I do not trust those doctors. Because they don't know what they're talking about, you know, or even the understanding of, you know, what else, what other, you know, the culture. And like, you know, I know a lot of my, you know, my Latino patients might use Herbalife and I'll be like, so what kind of Herbalife are we using? Mm -hmm. Right. What's what's on it? So let's pull out the bottles. Let's look what, what, you know, doesn't mean it's natural. That is like it has so many layers of impact in health outcomes and we have data to show that. Mm-hmm. So, and that's why also I have devoted so much of my time in my career to really 
help students from minority backgrounds into getting to medicine. There's so yeah. many barriers. Tell me more about that because what are some of the learnings yeah. um, through kind of that work that you're doing? Trying to attract people into the meta, the kind of the medicine field and getting them, you know, the support that they may, they might need through medical school, into residency and so forth. What are some of the learnings, like the challenges, all of that that you're seeing? It's amazing. The challenges are numerous. So starting with, you know, having role models, right? We just don't have enough role models. When you look at the numbers of Black physicians, it has increased from 3 to 5% in comparison to our population is minimal. Um, Latino physicians, similar. There's not enough role models. There's not enough guidance, right? So if I'm the first one in my family to attend college or to attend medical school in a system that's completely different, mm -hmm. it's very challenging. And so even filling out applications for medical school, if you don't fill out the application correctly, like if you put in the wrong amount of community, you don't know what, what is considered community service versus not community service. If you don't have the right connections in shattering physicians, if you don't have the right connections to be able to do research, you already start in a much lower disadvantage kind of place. Yeah, sure. And it takes you so much more effort. And when you think of standardized testing, I'll, you know, not just for medical school, but when you look for law school and master's sure. degree, the GMAT, the LSATs, the MCAT, all these standardized tests have a certain level of bias in general. Students of color, BIPOC, or minoritized students tend to score slightly lower in all tests across the board than their white counterparts. And again, you can think of all the reasons of what that is, but you come at a disadvantage. And I was just having this conversation earlier today, how being a Latina or being a minority in medicine, from the time you start, it's almost like, well, you're only guided in because you're a minority mm. or, you know... And that sticks with you and it leads to this wanting to overperform to demonstrate that I, you know, I do I deserve, deserve to, to be, be here. here. There's right. always, yeah. yes, there's always the imposter syndrome that goes on in multiple, right? And, and the way the system is set up is such a hierarchical profession that it really takes a lot. You know, things obviously are changing and I think they're improving in all different areas and efforts into getting more minorities into medicine and in getting minorities in maybe more competitive residencies and fields that were not known to have minority physicians or female physicians. So things are getting better, but there's still so many struggles. Finances, right? So if I have the if I have funding, I can do a test prep and maybe I can do better and they standardize testing and maybe right. I'm scoring higher. Therefore it. I have right yeah. getting coaching with the program that we have, really setting up the behavior health aspect, because there's so much that impacts your 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 mental health, right? This chronic bias and stigma and discrimination is extreme. Every day. Right? right. Every it's day. Real. I can tell you, I mean, the list can go on like yeah. every day, like at dinner time, I can tell you about a story that something that happened that has, you know, and, and you shake it off and you're like, you can't let everything bother yeah. you. But how much that has an impact on your subconscious and in the way you behave and your level of stress. And we know that levels of stress can impact your health, sure. your well-being. Okay, so we're listening to Dr. Juliana Simonetti. Um, so let's now shift gears for a second here, Nadia. And we've been doing this for a while. So what have 
we learn. So the question that I was going to put to you is, okay, so what have we learned that has changed in your mind when we first started and then we'll, and, and what highlights that most for you? Yeah. I mean, so much, right? Like we love having our guests on. I know you and I have kind of reflected on how it's great to have our guests and have them share like their experiences and their products and services and how they're really making great impact, impacts and strides in the workplace. Mm-hmm. What I love um, is also our sharing of the news that happens, ah. in, um, you know, kind of in everyday workplaces around the globe and just what's shifting and what people are focused on or not focused on and where right. there's still gaps. Um, and so one of the um, news stories that we actually covered in um, one of our new segments was around the news media outlet, The Oregonian. If you recall, mm-hmm. this newspaper, um, they, well, it's been said that the newspaper helped create the Oregon of today, a majority white state with the West Coast's smallest proportion of black residents anchored by Portland, America's whitest big city. Mm. And if you recall, the Oregonian issued an apology back in October of 2022. We covered that in one of our episodes. Um, and they made an apology for racist editorials and journalism of the past. And I think this is like a really great example of an organization's continued work and progress to identify like where they may be messed up, reflect, um, course correct, right? You you always kind of joke around of how like there's redemption, I feel like, in some people's behaviors, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then they also shared how they will do better and hold themselves accountable moving forward, right? Like they they updated their values and their principles, made them visual, transparent to their um, audiences and their readers. So I wanted to share um, this segment of our episode where we covered just what exactly they did. Let's, Let's go ahead and take it. Listen to it. So what was interesting is that the editor asked some pretty inward, like, reflective questions. Um, ro- what role might the newspaper have played in, in failing to set, kind of seek it, um, redress for discrimination and prejudice, the policies? So the editor kind of was doing a lot of introspective work, and I love that she was sharing that with the readers. And some of the things that they found that I think is really important to highlight is that they, um, so the newspaper regularly referred to Black Oregonians by using, obviously, the worst possible slur. Um, The Oregonian belittled victims of actual attempted lynching. So the newspaper demonized Black Oregonians and treated them inferior, celebrating efforts to prevent them from voting, um, owning homes, or having equal rights. The paper failed to stand for the rights of Oregonians of Japanese descent when they were unjustly treated um, as the enemy and imprisoned during World War II. And the paper attempted to minimize experience of those citizens that, you know, basically who were taken away from their homes at the time, lost everything, including their land and their freedom, right? Some of them were imprisoned even um, here in the States. And so, you know, the editor uh, does a lot of reflection based off of that and the reporting back in the time. She she owns some of that, which is really interesting. And then she discusses some of the things that they're doing now to really help move DEI forward not just externally, but internally to the, to the organization. Um, do you want to hear some of those things? <laughs> <laughs> do you want? 
Sure. Yes. Yeah, sure. I mean, they—they, I think they're worth shouting out because I think that other media uh, outlets could probably either learn from this project. Um, so they were among the first news organizations to refuse to publish mascot names and images that were offensive to the indigenous and native people. They've instituted a practice of not mentioning race in vague, suspect descriptions that do nothing to help catch criminals and can reinforce negative stereotyping. They don't routinely publish police mugshots when someone is accused but not convicted. They acknowledge that their newsroom is predominantly white and they're working toward building a staff that reflects the diversity of their community. And then they partner with um, local institutions like high schools for mentorship opportunities. So they're really trying to make efforts to mitigate the bias and increase the representation. I'll pause there for your reaction. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) A lot to react to. Yeah. Yeah. Where, where do I start? Right. So I found yeah, yeah. one of the things that I liked about it, 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 there was a line that said the newspaper helped create the Oregon of today. I thought that was an mm. important point, uh, important, yeah. important overarching point. You know, some will say, why do we go back? Why do we unearth this stuff? Obviously, the moral standards of 1861 when the Oregonian was founded are quite different than they were today. But I think that that statement drives it home for me that the media is an important institution. It helps create the reality that we all live in, right? That we all live with in that time and it helps build the the, the society up going forward. So I think it's really brave to look back, acknowledge uh, that as an institution, how how you contributed to the inequality that we see today. I was thinking about corporations and do they do this? Have you seen much of this? Like there's been a lot of companies that have been around for, you know, a hundred years. You know, if you're an insurance company, for example, that that overcharged people of, of different mm-hmm. races or made it right. harder for people to get insurance. Then you sure. uh, then you contributed or to the wealth not accessible, gap. like weren't set up in in communities where or or even just taken advantage by over you know raising premiums on a specific right. group of people. Uh, absolutely, if your healthcare organization that that denied care or right. overcharged for people and bankrupted people for the for their care uh, because there there was a certain uh, group, then then you have that same kind of culpability that we're talking about with the Oregonian. And they have archives, right? They have, you know, some of them have big libraries that uh, they can go back and look at what their policies were. Sure. And they can make that uh, apology as well, just as easily as the Oregonian can do. Yeah. So I thought it was really great. And um, I'd, I'd like to see more institutions do things like this. When people question, like, what are the systemic ways that we can fight injustice and like build more equitable processes and policies? This is one way. Like media is huge. It's a huge system in our country. And so yeah. it's like one way that we can absolutely like reflect and adjust. And so the the report was really powerful. I'm gonna go ahead and make sure we tag it um in the link when we when we post this episode. I'm still processing it. It was really, it was really interesting and informative. All right, folks, we're back. Um, Rob, you had what was something that you kind of took away and something that you learned from the last few episodes that we've been doing? Yeah, I think so. One, I'm so glad that you picked the Oregonian. I always point to that. That editorial and the, the project that they're doing in terms of people really taking a hard look at, at past. And I, and I always wonder why more corporations don't do it. So I'm really happy that you brought that one back up. So for me and my assignment here, I thought, I think a lot about this work and how I can be helpful, right? So I'm a 
white, uh, straight, cisgendered, able uh, person, right? And so, um, you know, how can I be helpful? And something I think about a lot and, you know, I try to figure out how I can do things the right way in this works, make sure that I'm not causing harm or taking opportunities. I work with partners often. Um, I try to put them at the front and center, I try to, you know, make sure that they're getting at least 50% of the profits of anything that we, any endeavors that we have, or in this case, 50% of the losses uh, here with you and Inclusive Collective. Um, so, you know, but the one thing that, you know, really sticks with me is an exchange from also from season one, our guest, Chad Patterson, the CEO yes. and co-founder of the lifestyle brand Roblox. And, you know, it was really about the need to say things that others are uncomfortable in saying and in the role that I can play. And Chad's one of my favorite guests, you know, not because, not just because he told me that my look was salvageable, if you remember, <laughs> but he, he also sure had did. great stories. He said I could have some sauce or something, I, I believe. Yeah, I um, sauce. And that, you know, but he had great stories, original thoughts about his experience in trying to get funding for his company. So here's the exchange uh, that I always think about. Chad Patterson from Roblox. There's so many stories to pull from. Uh, but I think one that's coming to mind right now that I think is, is important is I was speaking with um, this firm they didn't, I think there's a couple of forms of disconnect. I think one, um, culturally, I think there was just a disconnect, right? Um, from, you know, age gap, from just a cultural gap, um, and probably several others. Yeah. But <laughs> the, <laughs> I, I just want to, I just want to be very clear. I mean, like when you go and you're asking, you know, you're looking for money, you're talking generally, right? Even though there's you know, been quite a bit of improvement over the last several years. You're yeah, keep going, Rob. I like where you're going with this. I like where you're going with this. talking to yes, yes, white men that are yes, forty-five to sixty, right? Yes, that's kind of like the sweet spot, right? So that's, I mean, even so, even though there's been a ton of improvement, we're still most of the time you're talking to white older men. Is that true? Yeah, that's a hundred percent accurate. That's where you're. Go that's where you're uh, steering us there. Yeah. Well, you know, I just wanted to dress it up in a, in a, in a more uh, <laughs> yeah, we're really diplomatic more, on the show <laughs> in a more elevated way. You know, I didn't yeah, want to yeah, go too yeah. too far now, but That's okay, listen, we have Rob to call it out. Yeah. You said it, I did. I'm just agreeing <laughs> yeah. with you, right? Yes, uh, That's my job. I mean, and the so, research um, yeah. the research is there, right? There's studies. The research it. is There's there. Data around it for sure. Yeah, absolutely, right? I, Forbes came out with uh, you know, with some data that says less than one percent of African American founders, you know, get venture uh, capital, right, mm -hmm. or get venture backing. You know, what I was alluding to is I was explaining this idea in this business model, like what we're doing, like how we're creating like a really, really unique, innovative company that is extremely inclusive and, you know, it's for the future. And like, these are the different things that we're going to activate and what's missing right in the market. I was explaining to him, I'm like, okay, so, you know, we want to work with, you know, tons of public figures, meaning athletes, right? celebrities, actors, actresses, business leaders, right? Radio personnel, all these different folks, you know, we want to work with them in different capacities, but one way that we know we can, you know, really partner is taking their apparel or products in their home and turning liabilities into assets, right? Mm -hmm. Like taking these products and selling them and then having them be purposeful, you know, in the environment. And then there's a financial compensation within that realm. One of the guys that you named it in a demographic, Rob, was like, well, I mean, Chad, what's going to happen when you all uh, saturate 
the, you know, celebrity entertainment space. And I didn't really even, I, I actually thought it was like a, like a glitch you know, on Zoom. And I, I, I like, I didn't know he really like, he really felt like that. Right. Mm. Like, and I kind of like sat back and I was like, you know, I, I don't really understand necessarily the question that you're, you're asking. And he said it again, like, well, I mean, what happens when, you know, the market is saturated, you know, with all the athletes or celebrities and folks that you want to, your team want to work with. And I had to sit back and I was like, wow, this is interesting. You know, sometimes I can have a very smart response. <laughs> and I did, and I had to pause, but I was like, you know, I was like, you know, I think the question that you're asking me is confusing is because, I mean, in America, you know, we're driven by entertainment. I said, well, after Larry Bird, there was no other athlete, I assume, right? <laughs> right. And, 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 and then he kind of like, he kind of like just like smirked at me. And I was like, every decade, there's a new phenomenon. Every year, there's a new celebrity or public figure that is coming to the scene. I mean, what is, how did Disney, you know, have such longevity in in the entertainment or media space, right? right or so right. on. Well, within the NBA or the NFL, these associations are done. After mm -hmm. 2021, <laughs> they are done because we are capped yeah. with different folks that we can work with. And then to expound on or at least build off of that comment, his counterpart is like, yeah, you know, we think the business model and everything is really cool and whatnot. And we never seen it done this way. But, you know, what would really kind of pique our interest if you had like some mega influencers, right? And I was like, okay, can you give me an example of like one of those mega influencers mm. like that you would name? Yeah. And they named Tom Brady. They named Giselle, right? His mm -hmm. wife. They named... Madonna. I'm starting to see a trend. Um, so I love that story and it highlights the disconnect between underrepresented founders and the sources of capital that they're pitching to. But what sticks out to me is that little piece of that exchange where he didn't even want to say what, you know, what we knew he was thinking uh, in terms right. of the folks that he's talking to. And I always think about that and my role here more broadly, and how do I advance the conversation using the privileges that I have? Thanks for that deep reflection. Yeah, I, I actually really recall um, quite vividly the the conversation we had with Chad and just so grateful to him in sharing those experiences um, and for you for sharing yours now, because um, I think that many folks can benefit from both experiences. All right, folks. Well, thanks for thanks for that, Rob. Um, we'll be right back in a moment. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com.
This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. I we're back and we've been reflecting on our origin story for Inclusive Collective and some of our favorite highlights and what we've learned. Nadia, it's been so much fun to work with you on this over the last year now and 60 episodes, and I can't wait to do some more. Same. I'm super proud of what we've created and grateful to you for collaborating with me on this fun project. And thanks to all of the founders, DEI thought leaders, uh, community leaders, investors that have joined us over the last many episodes, and we can't wait to meet more and share their stories as well. Absolutely. Well, folks, that's all for this week. Um, Rob is hosting a DEI metrics measurements and reporting masterclass on May 11th. You can check out details at climateforDEI.com. Inclusive Collective is a production of Refillion Media. We'd love to hear from you, so please send us your feedback in collective at Refillion.com. You can also find us on LinkedIn, Instagram. Facebook and TikTok. If you like what you heard, please be sure to subscribe and rate us wherever you get your podcast today. If you want to get in touch with for consulting at purposes, check me out at nasconsultants.com and Rob at taconoconsulting.com. Thanks again. We'll be back next week. Thanks, Nadia. Yeah.